Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode. People like don't want politics in their in their movies, but and I hate to be sound cliche, but like everything is political because everything's about something. Art should speak to something. Now, when when people say they don't want politics, they generally don't want it to like be partisan politics as we see them, especially in the United States. But like Democrat versus Republican or right versus left. Um, but like generally, art always is saying something about today and about people. All right, Mr. Demille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am the Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. I'm your host, David Osger, and I am joined by my co-host, our very own master of fire, water, air and earth, Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. What a way to make me remember the avatar that I wish we were talking about today. Wait, am I wearing the wrong t-shirt? I got water tribe. I didn't get the memo, even though I chose the film. Yeah, I was going to say you're a cruel man, David. Although I guess it does mean we're avoiding The Last Airbender, so there is there is that. Did you really want to watch the wonderful film that is M. Night Shyamalan's Avatar? <laughs> no. There's a rare chance that he might have been like, you know what, watch an entire uh, TV series in the next two weeks. That could have happened. Well, most people I think, Craig, would think that you're a firebender just from like the rage and anger. But I don't know, what do you see it as? I think you've got an airbender t-shirt somewhere, haven't you? Yeah, so uh, former host of this podcast, Dale, uh, bought us all t-shirts where he gave himself the Earth Kingdom, which people uh, also said would have been appropriate for me. Got Gave me air, which I wasn't happy with for a while because I was like, I'm not tranquil, I'm not spiritual enough. But then La- uh, Legend of Korra Series 3, so here literally bending the air out of someone's throat. I was like, you know what, I can get on board with this. This seems like my vibe. That's very true, that's very true. Well, yeah, we're talking about the other Avatar <laughs> franchise today. Before all of that, Craig, as we alluded to there, we talk about movies well worth watching despite duds along the way. So just to tease the audience at home, do you think today's movie is a dud or well worth watching? So last week I sort of suggested that I was not happy about watching this film and uh, I have to say my mind's been changed. Oh, okay. I'm surprised. <laughs> no? <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, uh, sorry. I'm in. I'm in an absolute minority on this film. Well, we'll uh, soon get on to uh, why Craig might think that is, but also find out my thoughts and the thoughts of our guest. Uh, but Craig, for anyone who didn't catch our previous episode and wants to recap on the last few movies that we've talked about, as this is our 65th episode, can you just recap us on what we're watching and what led us to this over the past few weeks? So we've gone in a bit of a loop, starting with sci-fi, ending with sci-fi. 
because we started with the anime classic Akira, where we got to watch some incredible destruction of people and buildings. Then building, uh, then going on, uh, where we go to the most tranquil film of the fu- uh, of the five or six that we had, going into Your Name, uh, where we got to watch an actual nice little romance taking place over the span of three years, ironically. Then. Going from your name, we go into a much darker but much more well-known story with a bit of a twist where we tackle Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Not the classic people would be expecting. But from that classic, we went into weird, weird territory of classic, I guess, even though it's not really a classic, it's just from a classic filmmaker, with uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy. And because of how much I just couldn't take any, any more, like, films just looking at like women in a perverted sense i chose from the list of 100 feminist movies erin brockovich and from that your mind i don't know how your mind works david brought us to today with avatar yeah now you say it that way i can't i can't even put <laughs> put sense to it but uh yeah i think uh some of my logic was just in terms of uh success and in terms of relationships this film has a lot of relationships but yeah we wanted to go down the sci-fi route it's turned into the summer i thought let's go into some blockbuster season with one of the biggest movies of of all time i guess so uh yeah we look forward to discussing avatar from 2009 and undertaking our usual task of deciding whether it goes into the movie vault our vault of movies that celebrates chosen films for all time but before all that we are thrilled to introduce a very special guest joining us on well good movies this week to discuss today's film, all the way over in Seattle, USA, it is YouTuber and filmmaker Jesse Gender. Hello, Jesse. Hi. Hi. How are you? Uh, I just realized I'm on the other side, basically the other side of the planet from you, aren't I? Isn't that like Seattle right on the other side of the planet from... Uh, yeah, that's true. From, from England? Yeah, I didn't even realize that. Dang. Far. Ooh, the E is word it? was mentioned there. That's that's controversial. Oh no, I'm sorry, United <laughs> Kingdom. My apologies. Okay, I mean we're Welsh, but it's fine. I mean, I'm 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 a fourth generation Welsh descendant, so I'm ter- I just like offended my entire family. So <laughs> that, that's interesting, actually, because I saw uh, Elton John in concert uh, like two nights ago, and uh, at that concert he was it was in Swansea, and he was just like, oh, I always feel at home in Wales because my. Um, you know, great grandfather was a, a Welsh army man. And I said to somebody I work with, like the next day, I was like, people always want to link to to, to Welsh families. <laughs> I'm like, I you know, I, I guess we take it as a compliment. <laughs> so the people always want to be like, yeah, I'm Welsh, I'm Welsh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I my uh, my grandmother used to like uh, always have like the Welsh dragon that she'd always like point me towards whenever I whenever I was in trouble. I was like the dragon's going to get you. That was the that was the thing that she always said to me. And then I actually got to meet some of my Welsh family. I went to Cardiff uh, 2013. So quite a bit, quite a while, while ago. But I, I met some of my um, like long distant family there. So it was nice. You might have walked past us. You never know. So we're not far from Cardiff. <laughs> so yeah, that that is I- ironic. Yeah. So uh, always good. When I love Cardiff. Cardiff. Cardiff is great. Yeah, I think recently people have been saying about how you know Wales can get on the map more, and people have been saying you know big up the dragons, big up our history. You know, like become mm-hmm. you know that kind of country, like celebrate that, which uh, is always fun. And yeah, I know when I was in the states, I actually before I left, somebody gave me a few like miniature flags. Uh, to take over with me and I was kind of like well you know I want to lighten the suitcase when I go back because I had so many souvenirs etc so I was like I was going to pop these in places I stay along the way so it was like a family we stayed with in New York I just left one of them there I was like <laughs> I and I think actually the summer camp I worked at I painted 
a uh, Welsh dragon on like their art shack wall because there was all like paintings on the wall people like you know write in you mm-hmm. know something 2012 etc so hopefully that Welsh dragon is still there as well <laughs> so we always make it I love art. it you should play you should play with the dragon more I mean it's awesome it's why I got into dragons I have a smog tattoo on my shoulder uh from the hobbit and partially that interest was inspired by the welsh dragon so yeah ah, very interesting so yeah we're we're seeing links that we didn't even realize before this episode but uh <laughs> yeah for anybody who doesn't know then jesse uh what is it that you do can you tell us about your youtube channel and some of the content you make yeah so um people know me as jesse gender over on youtube so i make videos that sort of use pop culture and nerddoms and geekdoms to talk about social political and uh mainly lgbtq but other issues as well uh to try and break down misinformation to try and talk about harder issues in a more positive way to sort of break down um like right wing or very harmful ideologies, that sort of thing. But like I said, try to do it in a fun way. I'm a huge Trekkie for the most part. So a lot of the videos focus on Star Trek, but it's not exclusive to that. I mean, I've done videos on James Gunn's work and how he talks about toxic masculinity in his films. Um, If you're a big film buff, that's one of my videos that I'm really proud of. He, James Gunn himself even retweeted the video. So I was was super pleased about that. Um, But yeah, it's just talking about sex, sexuality, you know, racism, gender, all that sort of stuff through pop culture. It's a, hopefully a fun time. Yeah, definitely. And I know for myself, you know, I, I would just say, you know, a, a huge thank you as well, because I think for me, you know, I've learned so much from your videos and I think that everyone, you know, who you know supports your videos could say the same thing. I think you've done so much for like LGBTQ issues and just kind of breaking those issues down and, you know, what it means for people from those backgrounds and the people they're affected you know, by the issues and just things that happen in, in media or the culture or news. Um, and people might be thinking, well, what's this all about? We, you know, why, why is this such a big issue? Why are people offended by this? I think you do a great job of um, going at it in a kind of neutral way. Um, but also then when it's not neutral to kind of say, this is why people are, you know, feel this way. Um, it's done in a very balanced and kind of thought provoking way in a kind of informed way as well. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's, it's always like a, rough balance because like you want to try to make sure that you're making your point of view clear and being like this is unacceptable especially when we see today there's like a lot of vilification of a lot of marginalized groups especially in the united states i know it happens uh in the uk and around the world as well um so it's like making this clear but then also trying to bring a bit of empathy to the conversation is like look i i understand that like there's a place where these feelings come from and this misinformation comes from so let's try and talk about that in a way that sort of brings people along but also makes it clear what's acceptable or not it's always it's always difficult and i i don't walk it perfectly all the time but i try my best and i think people people seem to like it so uh at least i am able to pay the bills and uh and and try and help people so i think those are the two most important things so and as you said, you know, there's approaching, um, you know, the nerdy kind of content, etc. As you said there, I think your YouTube sort of slogan is if finding nuance in in the nerdy, which I uh, which I love. And uh, yeah, funny you mentioned James Gunn as well, because, um, yeah, he's always one. I think he does, you know, great interaction with fans, etc. And obviously talking about things like, you know, upcoming films with people asking him questions, um, etc. And I guess, yeah, it goes into what you were saying about like approaching things, you know, whether they be political and it's kind of like with Star Wars, et cetera, where people are like, you know, stop making this political and, you know, Star Wars will be like, well, it's called Star Wars, you know. It's and literally that- Wars in the title and it was about Viet Cong from the, <laughs> the first film. I mean, like it, it is, it's the thing that we think about, like, 
people like don't want politics in their in their movies but and i hate to be sound cliche but like everything is political because everything's about something art should speak to something now when when people say they don't want politics they generally don't want it to like be partisan politics as we see them especially in the united states but like democrat versus republican or right versus left um but like generally art always is saying something about today and about people um and generally i mean because when we talk about sci-fi because we're talking about a sci-fi movie and it's what i generally talk about it usually is very like progressive uh because it has to be you know (laughs) it's it's either showing you a future that is better or it's showing you a future that is worse because of certain reasons that have have deteriorated so it's 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 always he's always got some political angle that you can talk about but it's about trying to draw it out in a way that's educational constructive rather than you know when people like look at something like the last jedi and how toxic that conversation got with those films it's like there's so much you could talk about like i don't particularly love the last Jedi. i have polarized views on that movie but there's definitely a lot more you could talk about with this film than just like sjw's ruined the film and and look luke skywalker drank blue nipple stuff <laughs> um so yeah it's just it's it's, it's just trying to have good conversations about media because i think uh you know just to, to bring it back to film we we overthink about film in terms of like good slash bad and 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 i think that goes like into ideas of capitalism and like needing to figure out whether something's worthy of consumption um so it's like if it's good then it's worthy of my money and time and consumption if it's bad then it's not um and and so it ends up in those like polarized discourses but i think art is much more of a conversation where we we don't necessarily need to put it into a bucket of good or bad we can put it into like what we like or dislike about it and, and whether it's worth whether it's like something that we we enjoyed overall but i think like having conversation even about bad works of art is is illuminating because that's what the conversation should be about People tend to think like, oh, progressives uh, tend to lean to be more creative, which I do think is true. But when you look at conservatives and, and like conservative media, it, the whole point of that is it's trying to keep a status quo. Whether whether or not you agree with it or not, the whole point of like conservatives is like you want to conserve, you want to stay in the same place. And art is always about like trying to showcase things that you don't normally get to see, about making you think thoughts that you normally wouldn't think about, not to reaffirm your own ideas necessarily. And so when you look at and you look at uh, art, like it's going to be people who are trying to push things forward or trying to see things in a different way and not show the same thing over and over again. And so when you look at like conservative art, like conservative um, like d- documentaries or like even and like films, they're usually just about reaffirming already held beliefs. Um, and ultimately, it just sort of becomes hollow as a result because it's sort of like trying to fit things into uh, the worldview as opposed to like trying to express uh, something about what you want the world to be or hope the world to be or, or want the world to see. Um, so it's it's an interesting conversation when it comes to like different types of art from different political spectrums. So, yeah. yeah, and I know that that's definitely like the, you know, the thoughts or the ideas originally of uh, Star Trek, I know. Uh, myself i've never been you know a huge trekkie but we've definitely had uh, friends of the podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've had friends who've come onto the podcast who've been big star trek fans um and yeah obviously i know that original idea to you know show a world which is not you know divided as much etc which is a more you know hopeful future etc so um and i know that that's a big part of you know why you have become the sci-fi film fan creator that you are today etc isn't it yeah no i mean don't get me started on star trek or i'll talk about it all day <laughs> with you but um but no i think 
the Star Trek inspires me a lot because it's a it's a franchise that always just shows a positive version of the future. And a lot of people say it's a utopian vision of the future where it's like, oh, it's supposed to be this perfect ideal future of humanity. And I, I always disagree about that. I think Star Trek is a future that shows humanity progressing forward and constantly working and striving to be better and and, and pursuing our best selves and taking delight in differences of others um, and, and differences of diversity. And that's we are stronger together because we accept the totality of who we are, not just a singular viewpoint. Um, but it was never utopian. It was never perfect. Like there are people struggling and 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 getting things wrong and messing up and screwing up. Um, there's still prejudices in the future, whether it be against androids or different types of people. Um, and I think, but I think that what I love about Star Trek is it's always about showing us the pursuit of that. It's like we, we're never going to be perfect. Um, one of my favorite quotes on the show is that uh, we must strive to be more than we are. Uh, we'll never reach our ultimate goal, but the effort yields its own rewards. And I, I, that's sort of a phrase that I like to live by. It's like, well, none of us, no human being is ever going to be a perfect person. We're all going to screw up, make mistakes, uh, hurt people. It's just, it's going to happen. That's how life goes. Uh, but we always strive to be better and try to care about others. And I think that that's, that's what Star Trek gave me and what science fiction gave me and, and art gives me. Um, and, and I learned so much about my morality from these things and that's why i do the videos that i do because it's like let's talk about art in a way that feels inspiring and, and shows us how to be better people and art itself is imperfect too so yeah yeah that's definitely uh, elements we'll go into today i think it's you know like you were saying earlier it's just about you know how sci-fi you know can go into these themes and you know why people attach themselves to those projects etc so mm -hmm. um yeah well thank you uh, jesse for joining us today um we'll now go to our uh, film which we're discussing which kind of you know does have an element of some of those themes uh, which we were talking about some of the uh, reoccurring kind of topics that you sometimes get within science fiction but also where you were talking about films like the last jedi etc in which you got films which are you know very you know big successful films um and this mm -hmm. being the most successful film of all time so uh, today we are talking about avatar which is from 2009 uh, the source small summary is a paraplegic marine dispatched to the moon Pandora on a unique mission becomes torn between following his orders and protecting the world he feels is his home. Uh, so this is directed famously by James Cameron, also written by James Cameron. You got Sam Worthington as Jake Sully, Zoe Saldana as Neytiri, Sigourney Weaver as Dr. Grace Augustine. Uh, also starring in this, you got Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, you've got uh, Stephen Lang, uh, Giovanni Ribisi, uh, Joel David Moore, um, and many more uh, actors and you know extras, etc., which make up this uh, huge cast. Uh, obviously, the special effects are a big part of this, and also 3D when it originally came out was a massive part of it. This was one of the you know the first big 3D film and started that trend all the way back in 2009. And uh, yeah, this, as I said most successful film of all time earning 2.8 billion dollars uh was overtaken by avengers endgame uh, but then i think a chinese re-release made it so avatar took over once more so i don't know they if kept, uh, they kept they kept duking it out trying to figure out who's going to be in the first place <laughs> yeah and it's not even like rivalry company rivalry anymore it's just 20th century you know like it's owned by disney now so they're just like oh we we win either way <laughs> <laughs> yay corporate conglomerate <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh so yeah this is famously as well got um a lot of sequels coming out and this year we have got avatar the way of water we have had a trailer for it many people didn't think these films would come out because we've been waiting so long for them um but yeah there is about uh 
four further films that will be released um, and that's a lot of the reason that we haven't had them so far uh, apparently future uh, titles will be uh, we've got the way of water now which will be this year the seed bearer is avatar 3 uh, the tolkien rider is avatar 4 and the quest for awa is avatar 5 um, i think officially at the moment it's mainly avatar 2 which is the official title uh, we haven't got so posters obviously for like the future one so it could change uh, but yeah very ambitious to have a further four films um, and already you know in production etc so there's a lot riding on this but it is a big franchise as proven by its uh, box office and the fact that it's got you know an entire world in disneyland and you know a theme park rides and you know merchandise and you know pl- plenty of re-releases etc so yeah today which, which be- apparently that theme park is amazing but i've never been i i used to go to disney world a decent amount because my dad loved it but apparently that theme park is crazy good i've heard i can imagine to be honest given this given the ultimate strength of this film it makes sense mm-hmm. it, would, it would translate over into a theme park insofar as how immersive it can be for the audience yeah, honestly, I think I'd, I think probably I would enjoy the uh, <laughs> the the theme park more than the movie, to be honest. Yeah, there's definitely one that I've and I think it's in um, is it in Animal Kingdom, which in some ways kind of makes sense, I guess. It's a bit weird, and mm-hmm. you know, the sense that they've got actual giraffes and everything there, but it's such a film about the environment, etc. Um, I know mm-hmm. when I saw it on like some of the Disney documentaries on Disney Plus, you know, it is nice to see some of the the thought and effort that goes into it, and yeah, I think it's that is it Flights of Passage, I think is meant to be like an amazing ride. Yeah, we're going to be talking all about uh, this film today. And I think it will be an interesting one to talk about in terms of the movie vault. Obviously, we won't, uh, you know, give away too much now. But even myself, you know, I chose this film uh, last time just because, you know, I thought it was such a big sci-fi film. Uh, and with the sequel coming out, it'd be interesting to talk about in that aspect. But definitely re-watching it and even the thoughts I already had, I don't think it's a shoe in I think a lot of people could come into this episode saying, Oh yeah, you know, most successful film of all time. Of course, it has to go into the movie vault. But you know, I I don't think we always approach it in just that singular view. Uh, and I think Craig will be happy that I won't be just giving merit for technical aspects. That sometimes sorry, I, I just do. see this as you backing. I see this as you just backing down. <laughs> possibly, possibly. Um, but Jesse, obviously, you're uh, with us today. Which you were talking earlier about, you know, science fiction and why that's been. A big part of you know you getting into filmmaking, being a YouTube creator, etc. Um, so before we talk about like specifics about our thoughts on the film, you know why do you think do you think Avatar is a good example? I guess through its success about what it is about science fiction that is so appealing to audiences and you know the general kind of cliches and the the tropes that you get with science fiction. Yeah, I mean, this movie is is interesting in a lot of different ways, and, and I'll I'll try and keep a, keep a couple cards in my hand about what I feel about the film. But it definitely has like a lot of good and a lot of bad. I think there's visually, I think this movie is stunning. Even today, like I popped it on um, the other night to watch this for this podcast, and I was like, wow, this still looks really good. Like this looks better than any anything Marvel is necessarily doing with some of its sort of more janky CGI. And this was what, like 13 years ago, somewhere somewhere around that range. So it still looks gorgeous. There's that element of it. I do think there are some like good themes and ideas and and great visuals that you can find in here. It's definitely a blockbuster movie with a lot of its action. Uh, but I think that that's not necessarily inherently a bad thing. Um, and so I think, I think there's a lot of good in that aspect too. Uh, in terms of the story, I have 
mixed feelings, especially in in a lot of its coding of uh, the Navi uh, and its uses of the Navi as as a uh, as basically just indigenous type characters. Um, and then the white savior, let's just, I'll just say it like the white savior in this case, I guess, blue savior, uh, narrative that is, that is in the film that I have very complicated feelings on. Um, so I, I think, I think in a lot of ways, this is a good introduction to science fiction, both the good and the bad for a lot of people. And I think it's a film that like, if you're going to show it to people, I think requires a, requires a conversation afterwards to sort of break down what works and what doesn't and what's, what's the, uh, the good and the bad about it. So. See, I'd actually argue that the majority of people I know of wouldn't actually see this as a sci-fi film Mm. realistically at all, because I think a large part of where the discussion of the film necessarily comes around is very much on its environmental themes. I think that sort of echoes over the film as opposed to just how they talk about those themes, which is how you would get the sci-fi discussion. So I just don't think it echoes... For me and for people that I know, what exactly a sci-fi film necessarily would be. I could hear that. I mean, I think there's there's elements of this film though that I think echoes like what some some good sci-fi would be. Like, for example, I mean, speaking of I mean Sigourney Weavers in the film, there is a very anti-corporate message here in, in the film as well that's like anti-like um, you know, drilling and 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 fossil fuels, but also like anti-corporations as well. I mean, it's not super big, but it's in there. And that ties into, you know, something you'd see with like, like I said, Sigourney Weaver, Aliens, or an alien is also a very anti-corporate film as well. Like that, those movies are all about that. Um, so I think there's, there's elements of it. I would agree. Like, this is definitely not like, this is most definitely not hard sci-fi. And you could even toss it even a little bit into fantasy too, to a degree. Um, but I do think there are elements of science fiction that you can find in the film. But yeah, I, I would oh, yeah. I would probably put it in the bucket of like sci-fi fantasy, like kind of kind of in the vein of Star Wars to a degree in, in a little bit of ways. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I think that um when like I I think recently I wrote something not too long about like about uh, the epic film, you know, uh, the days, especially when we're talking about big financial successes. You know, even though Avatar is statistically, you know, the most successful film, I think adjusted for inflation, then Gone with the Wind might still be considered the most successful film of all time. And if you look at those type of films, then you've got like The Sound of Music, The Ten Commandments, Dr. Shivago. So it's not as if like sci-fi has always been this kind of like big genre for people. It's obviously always been there. We've had the likes of, uh, you know, alien movies. And I think that in a way, you know, the world of film wasn't ready for something like Avatar 50 years ago. You needed the likes of Star Wars, Alien, etc. to build people up to actually go to a different planet and support uh, the aliens as opposed to kind of be against them. I think that we needed all that time to build up to it. And the way that, you know, film success was years ago, it was in those more classic stories that people loved the kind of pomp and circumstance of kind of like, you know, royalty and the kind of, dramatic you know scope of war and you know like telling historical tales etc i think that was more to the appetite of older uh you know audiences years ago but i think that that's why for me avatar is so interesting in terms of the director james cameron which i think is pretty crucial to why this film is successful because even when you look at films that he's involved in like alita battle angel or other films that have tried to kind of replicate the success of avatar you get a lot of films that will be like it's the next star wars and you know how many times have we watched a trailer or seen something come up and be like it's going to be the next big franchise and then it just completely flops and i think that avatar 
well, every time James Cameron has done a film, essentially Hollywood has been waiting to see if it's going to be this massive dud because there's so much money is invested to it, into it. But I think what makes them so successful is just how light they are on their kind of tropes and complexity is Titanic. You know, James Cameron said, Romeo and Juliet on that boat. You know, it, it's a simple sell. It's romance. People can get swept up in it, but it still has a lot of spectacle um, and kind of blockbustery tropes i guess and it's the same with avatar i don't see it as like you know it's very like complex story he's kind of taken this kind of simple premise from kind of dances with wolves and uh even like animated sort of like disney kind of oh don't don't spoil my rant david come on <laughs> so he's put you know he's it's a big part of the appeal i think that's why he's put that into this film to kind of make it a simple sell for the audience and that's why it earns so much money i think because this people are not going there going oh this is going to go over my head it's too complex they can watch it and i think the same people who enjoy the kind of dances with wolves cowboys versus aliens kind of feel that they're still watching cowboys versus aliens in some way or form well, not Cowboys yeah, no, Aliens, I, that's another film. Cowboys vs. Indians. That's a whole other movie. Uh, oh, God, I forgot about that film. That was a fascinating one. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. Like, it, it's it's very much like James Cameron does this interesting thing where, like, you know, we look at where we're at today with a lot of science fiction films. Like, everything's multiverses and, like, we got they got all these crazy complex science fiction stories that intermingle with all these other films. Like, they, they you got to see 10 films before you go and see the latest Marvel movie, which which I, to, to a degree, love quite a bit. Uh, but, like, films like this where it's like, it's just dances of wolves in space uh, is kind of what gets people invested in in those types of things. Because I was reading complex, crazy sci-fi stuff back in the day, like for a long time. But a lot of like mass audiences weren't ready for for this sort of science fiction. So to have something that like takes like, OK, we're just going to do dances with wolves in space and make that and make that uh, it, just a thing. Uh, that's what sort of gets people to go in on it and how simple it is. But then James Cameron also, too, not just the spectacle of it, but like he he is one of those directors that after a certain point, there's there's every so often you get these directors who are just like, I am less in it necessarily to tell a story, but I'm just more interested in the process of filmmaking and like getting to do cool new things with filmmaking. He's just more interested in that aspect of it rather than the story aspect of it. And so you get to see like the sell of this movie was just how crazy the visuals were, how cool the technology was. Like the reason that this movie I mean, I'd be interested if someone ever did like a breakdown of like number of people that went to see this movie, because this movie, uh, it was the highest selling movie of all time, as we said. But I don't know if it would necessarily have been the most watched movie of all time, because the reason that this was so uh, made so much money is because a lot of people were buying IMAX tickets because that's how it was sold. Like, you got to see this on the biggest screen. I mean, it's how I saw the movie. My family, like, we're going to we're going to make a day of it. We're going to see this in the IMAX, which obviously costs more which makes more money. Um, so I'd be, I'd be curious to see if the breakdown between like amount of people who watch like Avengers Endgame versus Avatar. Um, Cause I would, I would, I would, I would put a decent amount of money down to say like, I think Avengers Endgame probably saw it, had more people see it in theaters during its first run. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's an, it's just, he's just one of those directors that likes the spectacle and joy of visual effects um, and like getting to like play with new technology rather than necessarily the the story, at least later on in his career. I mean, he certainly told good stories when you look at like Terminator um, and things like that and Aliens. Um, but he's, he's, as, as he's gotten further and further on, he's just like, I just want to make new tech. And that's, that, I think that's perfectly legitimate. So. I think the other thing that would support that idea, Jesse, is weren't there lots of reports of people being so enthralled in the world of Pandora that after 
after they weren't able to watch the film in like IMAX, they were getting like Pandora blues. Mm-hmm. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if a lot of that is also just from like significant repeat viewings. Cause it definitely, cause I remember back at the, back in the day, Jesus, I sound old. Uh, but I do <laughs> remember that whenever people would talk about it, they would always talk about seeing it multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's sort of one of the things that sort of overshadows the way that I, I've seen this film this I never saw it in the cinema so I've only ever watched it um I've watched it twice once on on David's TV so I'll, I'll let him say how good that TV was uh and then once on my laptop which is not good quality screen well uh, yeah I think that definitely will come into it to it later on when we're talking about the film is again how you know it's rewatchability in that sense and and like you were saying Jesse even if they did a re-release I think people would be like oh I need to go see that film again I think it would be more I need to go see this in 3D again I need to have that experience mm-hmm. again um and that you know you know perfectly segues into the next aspect I was going to talk about which is the visual effects the 3D which was such a big aspect of it back then and you know viewing experiences uh, you touched on it there Jesse I know that for me, it was very similar and I, it very much stands out to me because I'm not sure if it was the first film I saw in IMAX, potentially. I think maybe I had seen, you know, where you get those like made for IMAX kind of in space or, you know, roadster, you know, like a general kind of show. Uh, what do they call them? The documentaries that you get in like uh, like uh, museums, you know, <laughs> voiced, voiced by uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah, or like when you buy like a Blu-ray player or something and they're just like, oh, here's like, you know, this... Uh, great sample disc to kind of watch you know seeing like vistas and all that kind of stuff so i might have seen something like that i think in like the big imax in london but um yeah i went to the cardiff imax and wasn't even sure if i knew i was going to the imax but i remember seeing all the hype for this film i remember having like an issue of empire magazine and the poster for this being the front cover and even at the time i think my friends were like what's that all about what's this and i think that that is why i do respect a lot about it is that you look at the rest of you know the most successful films of all time and it is largely franchise stuff it is marvel uh dc harry potter lord of the rings etc so it is refreshing in that sense to have an original franchise um which doesn't have any kind of like history which made it in there but again it is very reliant on the fact that it's such a simple story that it managed to achieve that success yeah i think going in it was just like you just didn't know what to expect it wasn't like star wars etc and like oh you know i know what to expect from these films but yeah, I don't think the 3D experience has ever been matched by anything since. It just was like a theme park experience. It was being in, in totally encapsulated into this world. You could, you know, I don't think even when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, you know, there's maybe one or two gimmicky kind of throw at the screen kind of 3D moments. But Cameron was always very adamant that this technology was used to sort of bring you into the world and add depth to it. It was never to kind of like throw things at your face, etc. And I think that that, you know, did come through. And I think that, you know, I remember sort of feeling that. And I think I saw it then a second time in the cinema, it wasn't in an IMAX screening. But the main reason I did was because I kind of wanted to see the reaction of the people I was seeing it with because they hadn't seen it yet. And I was kind of just as interested in their reaction and how they would come out feeling about the experiences as... I was in terms of like their thoughts about the film. 
Yeah. No, it's, I, I forgot about that aspect, the 3D aspect of, of the film, because I do remember going and seeing with 3D glasses and being impressed by, because, you know, we're always used to, like, someone, whenever you go to see 3D, you have people going, like, pointing at the screen, like, ooh, look, and, like, the finger sticks out at the audience, or, like, people hit, like, the ping pong ball thing at your, like, the paddle with the string attached, like, at the audience, that sort of thing, like, ooh, look, uh, the gimmick of 3D. Um, but this was, like, a movie uh, that just, like, immersed you in, like, I think of the scene where there's sort of like the the pollen jellyfish things that land on Jake at one point uh, early on in the film when he's sort of meeting Zoe's health on his character uh, early on. And it's like, I remember watching that in the theater and being like, you just got the depth of like all those different like little pollen jellyfish on the screen. It made it feel like you're, there was just depth to it, but it wasn't like they were right in your face. Like, oh, look, there's this thing coming out at you. Um, and I thought that that was just a really great use of, of 3D. Like, I, I wish, like, I don't feel like there's been many other movies that have done that well. Like, the only one that immediately comes to mind, and even that one still had gimmicky moments, but uh, Tron Legacy, I thought was another one that I remember doing it decently well. But beyond that, I, I, I could not tell you another movie that did, like, 3D super, super well, That where the 3D was, like, a selling point of it. Yeah, it's definitely, like you said, it was... You know, it's a big part of James Cameron's innovation that, like George Lucas with the prequels, he wanted to use that chance to kind of develop that technology and to push it forward, etc. And I think it's interesting now that it's coming back, I suppose, for the sequel, but I don't know if it will work as well this time. I think that there'll still be the element you're talking about, Jesse, of like, I need to see this in IMAX, I need to see it in 4K on the best screen possible, but I don't think 3D... It might still be a crucial aspect of it, and it might just be this is the 3D franchise, but I don't think it'll kickstart another slew of 3D films because I think people have learned that it's very specific to that film or to Cameron as a filmmaker. I am so fa- I, I agree. I am so fascinated to to see how these movies do uh, going forward. Like they have so many of them planned, and it reads of like studio thinking where it's like this movie did great, we'll have more without like understanding the appeal of what they were. And I I think we're so used to today having technology, uh, like having science fiction and fantasy and technology be part of our cinema blockbuster experience, like everything. Like you only go to the movies to like see that nowadays. Like I I mostly watch like indie films um, at home nowadays. And and that's where I sort of get the the less like blockbuster experience. And so I'm just curious what like the way of water is going to sell. Like I think the, the thing of it will be like, oh, it's going to be underwater and that'll be cool. But I even like, I'm sure it'll be better than what Aquaman did, but Aquaman did that too. (laughs) So I'm just sort of curious if these movies will still do crazy well, uh, because I don't feel like there's a such a, like a strong pull to like, oh, I need to catch up on, you know, uh, Jake Scully, you know, what, what's going on with him, you know, as, as I am with like characters like uh, Captain America or something like that. And, you know, it's my, my issues with Marvel as a franchise aside, like those those movies have like characters that I care about that draw me in. Whereas this like I never cared about the story. Uh, I was I was there for the spectacle. And, and I feel like the spectacle is less of a selling point today than it was um, 10, 20, 13 years ago. Yeah, I genuinely couldn't have put it better myself. I think it is a strong way of how you evaluate this film, and this is why, like, later I am going to come down hard on this film. But just to echo the sentiments, that's my biggest concern for uh, the sequels. I just don't know what exactly it is that they're going to be able to do. I don't think... I don't think there was anyone who was necessarily crying out for, like, an Avatar sequel. 
Avatar sequel apart from just seeing more of the world. And frankly, it's just one of those things where if you want more of the world, something like the theme park would be so much more better, so much better for you rather than just this. Because I, because even watching the sequel, uh, uh, sorry, the trailer, it just felt like, okay, this is really nice environment. I have no idea where this is going. And I don't say that in the good sort of anticipation. I have no idea where the story is going to go. It's just, I'm looking at a map and I'm just like, right, I'm in a, I'm in a road and the road is going nowhere. What, what do I do? That's sort of what I've got coming up. Something I was going to say about as well is that I'll be interested to see how 2009, the environment was a very big issue at that time and even though it is now it's more the people are like oh yes we realize we need to do something about this we need to get on we need to be progressing things whereas 2009 avatar was kind of more like in your face like saying like this is a problem we shouldn't be destroying the rainforest i think at this stage everyone's like yes we know we shouldn't be destroying the rainforest how do we fast track that how do we do something about it i think that in terms of its messaging i wonder how old-fashioned it'll be or whether james cameron is able to kind of evolve the message and kind of take it away from the 2009 very stereotypical kind of like oh it you know it's very bad to you know pollution all that kind of stuff this, this these are all themes and topics that we've done for like 13 years at this stage now so it, it'd be interesting to see how he evolves that as well yeah that's interesting because yeah if it is sort of like pollution bad and like we're all sort of like yeah we know uh we we need to kind of uh fight the people that are doing the pollution like the big oil companies and things like that it's like i wonder if if it'll have that subversive messaging it will be data that's actually a really good interesting point yeah all right rewind those cassettes and play them again because it's vhs corner so this week, I'm going to take you through some of the interesting things about the background of this film. Some of it will touch on themes that we've already looked at, some of some of which we've not explored too much. So let's get the big one out of the way, the CGI. And I think it's safe to say because of how, how ambitious this film was, uh, plans for this film got shut, shunted around quite a significant time frame, given that he originally wanted to have the film for around 1999. But at that time, the special effects he wanted would have cost the cost the budget uh, 400 million US dollars. No studio would have, would fund the film, so it was shelved for eight years. It was around the time of 2002 that he was convinced that CGI progressed enough to make the film happen when he saw Gollum in Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And it's actually incredible when you look into it how much they use CGI for a lot in this film, because it's not just the backgrounds and the Na'vi and all of the characters. Uh, there are a few things like the cigarettes that Sigourney Weaver's character smoking was computer generated. You also have uh, Sam Worthington's legs being edited out because um, he actually had prosthetics from an actual paraplegic's legs uh, and he was just sort of hiding his legs in the wheelchair and then he, they were digitally removed. The CGI was so extensive that some scenes even took an average of 47 hours to render. So you have an idea of exactly how much went into this film. Looking then at uh, the language of the, the Navi, uh, the, la the Navi language was created entirely from scratch by linguist Dr. Paul R. Frommer. Uh, he was hired by James Cameron to construct a language that would be easy for actors to pronounce, but would not resemble any human language. So for the film, he created about a thousand words. And interestingly enough, Sam Worthington, an Australian said in an interview it was easier for him to master the language rather than the American accent. 
focusing a little bit more on Sam Worthington, James Cameron was uh, very much wanted an unknown actor to play Jake Sully because he thought he would give the character a real quality. You know, the sort of guy that you want to have a beer with who ultimately becomes the leader who transforms a whole world. We'll talk about that. Um, Previous choices before Worthington was cast were originally going to be along the lines of Matt Damon and Jake Gyllenhaal. It was actually good for Sam Worthington that this worked out because at the time of auditioning, he was living in his car. According to Sam, he was invited to the casting via a phone call. The person who told uh, the person who called told him nothing about the script, nor did they even tell him who the director's name was. So he was genuinely disappointed and thought this was going to be another waste of time. Yeah, that was not the case. So, to help the actors prepare for their roles, James Cameron actually took the cast and crew to Hawaii where they spend a couple of days trekking through the forests and jungles in order to have a better sense of what it would be like to live and move around the jungle on Pandora, since they wouldn't actually have any jungle sets on on uh, on the filming locations to aid and guide the actors and the crew. Uh, Zoe Saldana even dressed up as a warrior during these journeys, complete with an alien tale, symbolic of the one her character has in the movie, um... Of course, they only did these hikes during the daytime, uh, and during the night, they spent their time at the Four Seasons Hotel. And finally, uh, to talk about the coveted prize of uh, that the bad guys were basically trying to destroy the environment for, uh, the humorously called unobtainium. So, it's, it's a term that's used in not just in this film, but in a variety of areas. So, mainly in the aerospace industry, it describes a metal uh, or a material... That is perfect for an application, but does not exist. It's extremely expensive or violates the laws of physics. Its chemical symbol is UO. It's also a a general concept term used by sci-fi enthusiasts for any fictional substance that is needed to build a certain device that is crucial to the plot of a sci-fi story. It features in The Core from 2003, where the the Earth-boring vessel called the Virgil has a hull made from unobtainium to help it withstand the massive pressure inside the Earth's core. It's also an anti-gravity element in the online multiplayer game Skyrates. And finally, unobtainium is a term used by the Oakley Sunglasses Company, which refers to the material used in nose and ear piercings. Um, or, sorry, ear pieces. According to their website, it, its properties allows to maintain its grip despite the presence of perspiration. And that's it for VHS Corner for this week definitely the most like real world application <laughs> fact we've had there in terms of bringing up oakley sunglasses but yeah uh, jesse you had uh, some surprise reactions to some of those uh, any other thoughts on some of the facts that were brought up there i know you were mentioning the language etc oh yeah i could mention a few things i mean like the navi language like that formed its own whole like subculture in like tumblr spaces and other places uh, online like people got really into navi language uh like i said I, things that existed before were, like klingon and elvish though elvish was more like a fan creation uh klingon was too uh but in sort of modern day navi was like really really big and led to things like uh, the creation of um dothraki in in game of thrones and a bunch of other like so many tv shows like if you have a tv science fiction tv show you probably have some like language that's made for it at this point uh because like linguists love to do that stuff uh i listened to a whole podcast once about linguists who are just like hire me to make your sci-fi language it's fun to do um so th- this sort of film kicked that off and then the other thing too uh sam worthington he's not a ba- I, I think he's a he's he's a fine actor in the things that i've seen him in but it's just he's one of those actors 
that I just sort of laugh at. It was like the the bland kind of buff looking white dude that Hollywood tries to make happen every few years. Like we had uh, David, uh, no, um, oh God, uh, 300 uh, guy. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Jared Butler. Jared Butler, that's what it was. Um, Jeremy Renner is just like another dude who's like, oh, they're just trying, Hollywood just tries to make happen. Um, Jeremy Renner's done decently, but it's just like they put Jeremy Renner in like the Bourne movies, the Mission Impossible movies. And Sam Worthington was one of those just like, Yeah, he's the he's the bland, bland white dude, buff looking white dude that we're just gonna stick in a bunch of things and and maybe it'll work, maybe it will won't. He had like Clash of the Titans and things like that. He's not a bad actor. It's just sort of always funny to see that sort of regurgitation in Hollywood every once in a while, you know. Yeah, I think um, you know, especially with the Nate, you know, people have sort of ripped into that a lot with you know really unobtainium, etc. In terms of how on the nose it is, and again, I think that plays to the aspects of what I was saying earlier about Cameron, just go in with this like simple aesthetics, make it easy to understand. But even when you do look at the character names, etc., the fact that, um, you know, one of the villains, you know, played by Giovanni uh, Rabizzi is called Parker Selfridge, etc. You know, so it may as well be selfish. And then, you know, the Stephen Lang's character, like Miles Quaritch, you know, it's almost like as if it's like Quarrel or something like that. And then, you know, Sigourney Weaver is Grace Augustine and, you know, Jake's, you know, Jake Sully is, you know, like his kind of marine name, etc. So, yeah, I think that, you know, all of that is kind of intentionally done, but it does make it very cheesy and corny. But yeah, the language stuff, I I do respect and appreciate. And it, it, it adds to that element, which we were saying about the immersiveness of the 3D. I think that it is hard to completely write off the film despite it's kind of like flaws in terms of story etc because there's so much effort put into its world i think when i was re-watching this i was kind of thinking it's still impressive that they managed to keep an original look to pandora that nobody is still kind of i think there's films out there which have kind of gone hey crazy alien world whereas i think this film did a really good job of kind of making them look like real plants, but also still kind of intriguing, kind of alien. You don't look at anything like this and go, oh, that's just a palm tree. But it doesn't also look like, oh, you've just made a balloon into a plant. You know, it's kind of still looked like it, it could exist in some way or form. Same with the animals, I guess, because they're still kind of like earth animals in some ways, but there's enough about them. And I think it's just the general aesthetic. It's not... I think, is it like Valeria or something like that? One of those science fiction films where, you know, it's very much, you know, throw everything at you and there's so many different designs, etc. Whereas, you know, I kind of do respect with this that they give an aesthetic that all the animals kind of have these, you know, little tendrils and tentacles and they have like sort of flowery bits on them. It kind of makes it feel like one world rather than just like a big slapdash of, of everything. Well, um, well, let's get on to it then. So, uh, Jesse, you know, what what are your general opinions of this film, even years later now, maybe compared to when you first watched it? And, you know, how does that tie into your feelings about the story and the performances, which I guess are usually like, you know, the biggest part of a takeaway of a film or how you enjoy something, as we've talked so much already about the technical aspects? I mean, this is an interesting movie. Talking about like media literacy, I think is probably the best way to start about this, because I feel like one of the things that we, we don't talk about enough within our society today is media literacy and how people don't like understand coding of characters and and the themes of characters and how it can sort of uh, reinforce our underlying biases. I mean, when you look at something like this movie is very clearly playing from Dances with Wolves. And it, it, we a lot of people can very easily point to that and, and understand to a large degree the, uh, the problem with the white savior narrative 
in that movie of like, hey, look, there's these, uh, you know, indigenous American or indigenous folks um, in that film that are like being genocided, essentially. And then you have this white guy come in and teach us like, I can teach you the modern uh, ways to fight back. And, and it's like him able to come in and like teach them how to, to fight back for their own their own rights and and, and uh, ability to exist on their own. Um, and, and the problems with that about like, them being sort of looked on as savage and uncivilized and and um, that sort of idea but it's very clear when you look at that uh when when you see that because you have people being literally it's literally a historical set film but when you come into avatar when you set it in science fiction you have these alien metaphors there are people that will sort of look away from that it's like well look it's just aliens like they're just like blue people like why why do you want to get upset if you're going to talk about this with like the white savior narrative with this but it's like these people the culture of the navi is very clearly pulling from a lot of indigenous cultures and and coding them in that way um and then you still have a character like jake scully who is coming in and and being the white savior sort of teaching them how to fight back and there's sort of like this call to traditionalism with them is like they have this ancient ancestral knowledge that we as like you know colonizers have forgotten um without realizing like these are people that exist it concurrently with us like there's this sort of primitivism traditionalism pull, pull where it's like no but these are people that exist and live today they aren't like some ancient past that we're pulling forward they they live alongside us um and so you know i i see this a lot when i talk about star trek and it's one of the things that i break down where it's like when we when we see aliens like i talk about lgbtq issues in those in star trek where it's like lgbtq issues were talked about in those shows in the 80s and 90s but they were coded as alien and other and it made people see lgbtq people like maybe have sympathy for those those things but still otherize and see us as like a viewpoint of like not really human not really full people as something different so when you look at this film it codes like indigenous people as alien and saying they're different, they're other, they're strange. And that this movie is made for a Western white audience to look at and be like, ooh, look at those crazy alien people. Um, but people won't necessarily cognitate that as like, oh, these are indigenous coded people when we, when we, uh, because they are aliens and are able to look away from honestly, kind of some of the racism that's in here. And I'll be, I'll be, I'll just be clear is like i'm not indigenous you know i'm not from a lot of these cultures so i'm not here to get offended for anybody and i'm sure someone from those places could speak better about this but i i do sort of like feel very uncomfortable watching the film especially now where it's just like that element of it and it's made even i'm sorry i'm ranting here this will be the last point um it's made even slightly worse by the fact that like this film kind of relies on jake literally uh putting on the body of these aliens and it's like kind of reads like I, I, again i don't it, there's vastly different historical context and this is a sci-fi weird metaphor but still like kind of reads like blackface and, and like it's sort of in a weird way uh there's a lot to break down with that but it, it just it, there's uncomfortableness with that uh and so it's like yeah, there's just a lot of problems with the the depiction of the Navi as as uh, equating to indigenous people throughout this film that just is very, very uncomfortable watching it today, uh, but should have also been a problem at the time it came out, but especially today. Especially considering as well, the only reason this character isn't killed the first time he comes into contact with one of them is because their god basically said, no, don't leave him, there's something about him. 
aka this guy coming into your culture is somehow going to complete your culture in a way that isn't already possible. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Although I feel bad because my, my issues with the film are much simpler and, and and less important than all of that stuff. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot to talk about with that. But yeah, that was just that first and foremost, that was like the thing that just struck out at me that made me uncomfortable rewatching the film. Mm. But you're definitely justifying why I chose it in a lot of ways, Jesse, because we knew we were coming on. So anybody who's just like, why do you choose Avatar? I'm like, well, you know, Jesse, you definitely know your stuff when it comes to talking about these complexities and everything like that. And even though, again, we can't talk about how it represents kind of indigenous cultures, etc. You know, it is like you said, it's just how we feel in terms of our reactions and whether it was kind of the right thing to do at that time or not. I think it will be interesting for the sequels as well, is that can you have you know, a character like Jake Sully continue to be that type of character. You know, I think of something like Dune, which again, I, you know, I know people who knew, know far, 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 far more about Dune and uh, all of its books, etc. But a lot of people had the same reaction to that. But a lot of people say, well, that's the point of Dune. That's nowhere the mm. films would potentially be going is making that commentary on the white savior about how that can is a bad and toxic thing. Um, whereas, again, we don't know at this stage because there's no original source material uh, to go from so we don't know whether James Cameron will do that and the fact that Dune is coming out alongside it I suppose you wouldn't want to have that same story twice but uh yeah I think that it's such a big part of the film which is like the that divide and sort of seeing those characters and the way that they're played etc I think it you know it, it's good in the sense that they're you know they're developing that language and that they're sort of giving them uh sort of their own agency and not making them look you know dumb or anything like that but I think that, like you said, there is still an aspect of like, oh, well, they're aliens, you know, they're separate from us, um, which then can have the coding of uh, which makes people who might relate to them seem alien uh, themselves. So, yeah, I think that, that that definitely is, you know, an important aspect. Yeah, it is interesting to compare it to Dune uh, because Dune, like I said, it is one of those movies that like, like you said, it, it is commenta- commenting on that. But then even with Dune, there are people that will be like, yeah, this is a good thing. We should look up to the, the, I forget the lead character, Timothy Chalamet's character in those movies. Like the, the, again, talking about media literacy, like people, people sometimes will like relate to characters that they, the film is critiquing because the scene is powerful. Like I, I even think of like the boys on Amazon recently, there are people who are like shocked with this recent season that Homelander's the villain, despite the fact that he's literally a na- like a nationalist symbol for America who literally has sex with a Nazi, but there are many conservative people who's like, Homelander's great uh, until this season where it became clear he's the villain. Um, and so, like, looking at this film where, like, so Dune has that underlying it, but even people will miss that. So when you look at something like Avatar and it just reinforces this idea that, like, whiteness is is more enlightened and better and and that we can like we can like the colonizer can fight back against colonization better than the people who are being colonized are is 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 a deeply problematic trope um that just constantly centers white supremacy uh that i think like this film has in in a really uncomfortable way and i'm hoping like i i do hope that like future films will be able to comment on that in in some way but we'll you have to wait and see at this point yeah and i guess the good thing you know the the thing that gives me sort of cause for concern is even though with the jake sully thing you can kind of get away with it of like you know okay he's an alien now he's even abandoned his old body but like i said there is still that element of like well 
that is a white man in the body of what is meant to be like reflective of indigenous person but the fact that then in the sequel they've got Kate Winslet playing what I think is like an RV and I'm like oh like you had the chance to kind of go okay and let's make all of these characters like played by some form of indigenous or uh, actor of color and I'm I'm not sure what to think of, again, I'll pull judgment to the film, but again, Kate Winslet playing an RV, you know, again, is it going to be the same, you know, are we going to keep having white actors play them? I'm not sure if they can get away with that. Uh, Maybe if they are an avatar themselves, they can get away with it, I guess, if they're not actual uh, pure RV, whatever they want to call it. But yeah, that definitely is something that stood out in my mind in terms of the future of the franchise, especially now that we've got so many more great actors of colour which have come to the forefront because of uh, films and projects that have kind of made that the priority to kind of show the talent of these actors uh, funny you mentioned the boys because i think that goes into some of the problems that the film does have in terms of that white savior trope is um the character uh which i think uh Tutsi, i think which is like natiri is meant to be marrying him etc and he's the sort of takes on the role as leader once the father dies etc he's i was just looking literally just realized this he's played by laz alonzo who's the man who plays mm in in the boys i was like <laughs> oh my god wow so but uh, That's that, that was a crazy coincidence but also yeah i think that that problem comes through as well in that part of the story i think maybe in the extended one you see a bit more of his death and stuff which fleshes out but it's the fact that he's even like yes i will be with you brother and you know you were a part of our clan it's, so even the fact that you could maybe somewhat excuse it if just natiri was kind of seeing him as this godlike figure and excusing him and everyone was kind of on board with this but the fact that even somebody who was originally against him and can kind of see the flaws and the the problems he's brought to his people is like you are my brother and it's like uh, really you know like it, mm-hmm. it, it would have been nice if they had at least kept that kind of resentment from at least some of the characters not to literally be all like yes you know i, I yeah, love it's all hunky dory yeah yeah i think also too going going something you brought up too with like having actors from these cultures play or at least the cultures that these characters are coded as uh play these roles i mean like you'll often see you know, and I, I, James Cameron, he's a, he's a cis straight white dude. And, you know, I, I respect him. I think he's a great uh, filmmaker. I'm not sort of hating on that identity, but you'll often see people from that viewpoint sort of argue. It's like, well, I think actors of any background should be able to play anything they want. Um, and I, again, to relate to my own experience talking about LGBTQ stuff, you'll see a lot of cisgender actors talking about like playing trans characters and they'll be like, well, I think that cis people should be able to play a trans character because we should be able to play whoever that's what acting is about playing things separate from yourself. And in in an ideal world to a degree, um, race gets a little bit more complicated, but in an ideal world to a degree, I, I would generally agree that actors should be able to play characters outside of themselves. But we live in a world where like, we live in an economy where white people and cisgender people and straight people constantly get the roles and, and other people don't get to, don't get to number one benefit from the exposure and, and ability to exist in, in like these fields, um, by getting these roles so you see a lot of trans actors don't get a lot of work even when there's trans characters up for for being played because cis actors are getting it but even on top of that it's like not being able to tell um their stories authentically so i'm sure again i'm not indigenous so i would have to like i would i would have to you know see the conversation someone who would know more but like you know it this the the other issue too with this is like 
this indigenous culture of the Navi is sort of like a pastiche of a bunch of different cultures. Like I even, again, I'll relate it to Star Trek because why not? You had the character of Chakotay in, in um, Voyager, who was like a native uh, American or an indigenous American uh, character in that show. and But he was played as like sort of a pastiche of a bunch of different tribes and not one specific tribe. And so it kind of came off as like a very stereotypical um, because it, there was no specificity to it, sort of like general like stereotypes about native people. And the Navi are coded in that way too, or sort of like drawing from a bunch of different experiences. And so it's sort of like, it, 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 it is very, um, how best to put it? It's like, it would, even if you had people of color playing these characters, it would still feel like they're being othered and alien and be, being asked to play a stereotype of something rather than anything specific. So just even from like the, the whole project is sort of like messed up from, from, from the start. Um, so it's like, it's a complicated, complicated question, you know? Yeah, it's not like I I would I always go to sort of like something like Black Panther, which is you know in terms of like they're kind of like using that kind of like the way that they're linked to that culture, but they're also making it something new. But they're celebrating that aspect of them, the kind of like the African identity. Um, but like you said, they're not paying like cliche versions of that. They're kind of like bringing that to kind of celebrate it and to kind of show it in like a positive way and make it a big part of the culture. But it's like you said, it's very messy then when you're talking about aliens. And I think especially when you look at the casting, I think that's what you do at least, you know, you do get some more, you know, genuine kind of performances. And I think this is main, mainly just because of the actual actor themselves, just in terms of I think they're just doing a better performance and they're kind of more invested into the into the world and as we saw with the facts you know zoe saldana i think that she really does get engrossed in the character she's one of my favorite actresses in terms of all the sci-fi stuff she does because she really does seem to have fun with everything she does she really gets engrossed uh into uh, the roles that she does uh, we were saying about star trek i've always kind of joked in my head that she almost like has gone through the the key colors uh, in terms of sci-fi she had like the you know she wore red <laughs> she was a red shirt mm -hmm. in star trek she was green in <laughs> guardians of the galaxy and she's blue in <laughs> in avatar uh but yeah i think that she really embraces you know she she is our kind of like window into the the navi and that she you know really embraces the language the way she speaks so you always kind of like perfectly understand that kind of world through her performance um and i think even she kind of makes you a bit more on board with that kind of like savior aspect of the story in terms of just her reactions she sells it through her performance and the way that she kind of like is amazed by jake and and i suppose how much she's like as a character she's connected to awa and um their entire the way that their species works and how they're connected to their ancestors i think that she brings a lot of sincerity and a lot of like genuine emotion to that performance i think the same with like uh the lady who plays like moat it's like her mother um like Wes Studi plays like uh, Etukan, who's like her father, etc. Um, which again, I suppose, you know, is unfortunate in the sense he's kind of stereotypical in the way that he's playing almost like a chieftain, like a Native American character. But they do bring at least a bit more authenticity that like we were saying, when you're literally seeing a, a white person then playing one of these, one of these avatars. But for, for performance wise, I think that, you know, Zoe Zaldana sticks out to me far more than uh, Sam Worthington. I think he does his job in terms of being that kind of actor. And he, it's good, like Craig said, that he was a new actor. The fact that the film starts with his eyes opening and everything, we are immediately taken on the story with him. You know, James Cameron does a good job of that, of him like literally 
you know, having a diary throughout the film so we can kind of experience the world through his eyes. And that's what makes it more theme parky to me is the fact that we literally are being like, right, now we go to this place and now we go to here. And when they see the mountains, etc., it's all through the lens of those characters who are reacting and we're kind of going on the experience with them. It reminds me of one of those kind of 3D rides where you're sort of like being on a track and you're kind of looking around um, and those characters are like our eyes into that world. I think that's that's to me where it works, you know, the best. Um, but I think that's where the performance is for me is just, again, Zoe Saldana's reactions to like the deaths and when she's crying and stuff like that. I think she just puts, puts it all in. And I, I think that really comes through. I think it's one of the strongest aspects of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it does definitely put us uh, in, in his, his eyes, allowing us to explore this world and sort of him being the outsider. I mean, I mean, it's again, difficult because again, it very much centers the viewpoint in a sort of colonizer white person viewpoint rather than allowing these people to sort of talk and speak for themselves. But it does allow us to, uh, you know, outsider perspectives do generally tend to allow us this opportunity to explore and see these these worlds in an interesting way. So like it, it it's understandable in terms of like the visual selling point of the movie. It works really well from that aspect. So I would argue I would argue the one issue I have with with Sam Sam Worthington's character is that for me, I think the film does a very poor job at actually showing sort of the conversion from when he's just doing all of these actions because it's his job to, you know, join the locals and when he's actually doing it because it's something that he genuinely feels passionate about. I think they do a really bad job at actually showing that transition. So it almost feels like a sudden jump for the, well, this has to happen for the basis of the story, that when he actually does want to start defending the lo- uh, de- defending the Na'vi from all of the construction uh construction craft because they just they make it very unclear they 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 try to allude to this idea of he doesn't know it like the roles seem to reverse insofar as um when he's when he's out of the avatar body it feels like that's the dream and uh the world in the navi is reality but i i just i just didn't buy the conversion of he's actually genuinely loving these things because everything he talked about going in going into these is just wanting cool experiences and just enjoying the aspect of you know being able to walk again so it was unclear to me that he was actually taking any of the cultural heritage in which also doesn't help any of the readings but again that could just be me no 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 it's made even worse by the fact well i mean it goes to two things one it's made even worse by the fact that he literally gives the information to the um the villain guy i forget his name there's that scene where like jake like learns about their sacred space their sacred tree uh that they have and then he like immediately tells his superior which is even against like he's not in that guy's chain of command either he technically works for sigourney viewer so he's going outside to like tell the military dude about this thing and the military is like well we got him if we need to need to attack him then and then they later don do attack this sacred thing and destroy it uh destroy their home too um at one point and so it's just like he he's not even not taking it in he's actively like working against it and he regrets it later on and feels bad about it but like the damage he causes is is, is he's directly responsible for in in a lot of ways for making those choices of giving the information like he had to know that it was gonna uh, go that way i mean the dude's a military officer who talks about like violence and killing all the dang time uh so there's that aspect of it and then the other aspect of it too is the reason that like he's able to like get into the culture and he starts to feel like that transition is through the fact that he wants to you know 
excuse my language, but um, Zoe Saldana's character. And again, it goes to like, not just the white uh, viewpoint of the film, but the male gaze viewpoint of the film, where it's like a guy seeing this sexy woman and is able to like, oh, I understand because she opened me up to all these feelings instead of like it coming from his own interest. It's like, ah, oh, this hot girl who I'm going to put my weird mind tail into. Uh, I fell with. in love with the world and the Navar- Navi with you. Yeah, says mm-hmm. that. That's actually mm-hmm. the one of the lines I dislike the most is the kind of I, I fell in love with the forest. <laughs> I'm always just like, oh, that's oh, so yeah. like you know on the nose, like um, and just blatantly mm-hmm. not true. Yeah, yeah, he fell in love with her, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I was gonna actually say that Jesse with again without going because this could be an entire topic itself because you've done videos on them. But do you think that that there was such a big thing when it did happen. Do you think that the sexualization of the movie is a big part of its appeal, even its success to a degree? Because, you know, people were talking about it, certainly. And to have this kind of like sex scene almost, I think even in the extended one is more of a, you know, extended sex scene. But I know you've talked about it in terms of things like Star Trek, etc. Do you think that's a big aspect within the success of it? I think so. I think so to a degree. I mean, I actually that's one of the parts of the films that I I, I actually don't hate. A lot of people make fun of like the oh look he he's technically using his mind tail to like have sex with these animals to 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 control them. But I mean the way it's coded, like looking at the film, the way it's coded is more just like a, a, a deep connection. It reminds me. I just watched Steven Universe as a show. If anyone's watched that, where like there the part of that show is like characters confused together and form like a, 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 a thing, but it comes out of their bond together. It's not necessarily sexually coded, it's relationships. And those relationships can be sex related, or they could just be deep caring, emotional ones, familiar ones. Um, and I think that that's very similar here with that, that tale is sort of represent representative of um, deep relationships and, and deep bonds. Um, and so like, we talked about like in a better film that would have j- showed Jake more coming to understand and appreciate the world that he is in when he does like bond with these animals, that coding is just like, Oh, he is getting more invested in this world. Um, and I think that that's what it's meant to symbolize. It just doesn't work as well because he's like betraying them literally at the same time um, that he's like making these supposed deep connections. Um, and so as a result, because the film is like is is not really working on that level the coding then just becomes not deep relationships because it's not an endemic of that because he's not actually forming a deep relationship even though that's the intention so then the only thing it becomes representative of is just sex because that's 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 the only thing that it is actually shown to directly link one-to-one and actually fit and and have a continuous thread throughout the film for um and so i think that the idea of it is really cool. And I think uh, there's even a point later on too, where they make a point of like the entire planet is like one giant brain, one giant nervous system. That's also a really cool idea too. I really love that. Um, but I, I don't think it's as strong as it could be because the the way that this bond is formed is not shown to actually necessitate a deep bond with the planet. It just necessitates you sticking your thing in the other thing, which then just becomes a sex coded thing. And I do think that like sex is something that we need to be more open about. Like it's something I talk about in a lot of my media is like we are, especially in the United States, uh, but in a lot of Western cultures, but especially in the United States, we're very puritanical about sex and our relationship to sex. Um, And so I think having films that are a bit more open about that works really well 
but I don't think that this film does it super well just because it, it, it it's not consistent in how it develops that idea and ultimately just becomes a very like male gazy like oh, I want to bone the hot girl um, sort of way as opposed to like a more mature understanding of it. Yeah, I think something that like kind of like is similar in terms of like we were talking about like Jake, you know, you're not seeing that complexity there, but the moral decisions he's making and that big jump he's making, I think also comes through with Sigourney Weaver's character as great as it is, you know, hey, it's Sigourney Weaver and she's underst- she's the scientist, she's telling you like how it works, etc. And I think rewatching this film, understanding the kind of, you know, I always understood the kind of like the planet's a brain and it's a network, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I always saw it as like, yeah, Jake has come in and he's like the savior guy, but I never realized how much of the kind of chosen one narrative there was in terms of literally that seed come in, come in as if Awa is saying he is the chosen one. Don't kill him, Natiri. And like all of the seeds going on him originally, I always just kind of saw that as like, oh, he's an outsider, etc. But I never realized how much it was that Awa was, he is the chosen one. You must protect him, which I was like, that makes the white savior thing even worse in some ways. Uh, yeah, but- I forgot about that too until Yeah. But, um, but also in terms of Sigourney Weaver's character, I think that I really, it's its hard sometimes when, you know, you're like presented with like, oh, well, this is how you're supposed to feel about this character. Like as goofy as, you know, the villain is, you know, again, at least they're playing to that tropes. And I think that, you know, I do kind of respect Stephen Lang's performance. He knew the film that he was on. He knew the character he was playing. You know, that scene where he's like, I don't need a mask. I'm going to hold in my breath. And I don't know if it's, again, one of those trivia things of the film, but when he gets into the exoskeleton thing and his shoulders on fire and it seemed like a really kind of like Stephen Lang wanted it to be on fire and, you know, brush it off to show how hard this character is kind of moment. But to have Sigourney Weaver, you know, again, which was supposed to be supportive of, when she said, like, you know, don't make me, like, you know, boss around a cripple or something, I was like, I'm not comfortable with, you know, again, that wasn't even suitable in 2009. I'm just like, if one of the villainous characters had said that, fair enough, it's similar to when he arrived. It's kind of like Meals on Wheels. They were making the jokes about not respecting him. When she says it, I'm just like, I don't, you know, I know already she's like, she's a smoker and she's, you know, they've given her negative kind of uh, attributes to her. But I was like, that's a bit of a step too far in terms of making it, you know, an unlikable character, uh, which I well, thought. Well, like, they, they, they even do that, like, with her, like, just so superficially, because she's like, she smokes and she's like, uh, I, you're sticking me with this guy and I want the idiot military dude. And then that, like, immediately goes away within the next scene. Like, as soon as, like, Jake has the body on with the Navi, she's, like, tossing him apple or, like, food and, like, hey, this is great. And she's, like, she just becomes, like, a nice scientist character after that. Like, she would have been much more interesting if she had been, like, coded as, like, the, uh, like, what would have, what would have been the ideal for her character. If I, if I was writing this and again, I would have probably rather an indigenous person write this, but if I was writing it, I would have still, I would have had her kind of take on the viewpoint of like benevolent white savior person and have her sort of be like, Oh, I, I can be the person who like understands this culture better than they understand it. Cause I've researched it and I've done all this deep thought. And so she sort of has this put upon sense of over self-worth on her and then have Jake be the character. That's like, no, I, I'm, I'm learning about this culture, but it's like, these people should lead it. Like I'm here to support you. And like, he enables uh, the Navi and like Zoe Saldana's character to take charge instead of him taking charge. And that's sort of been juxtaposed versus the more white savior viewpoint of 
Sigourney Weaver's character and have her be that critique and then um, and then have the military corporate stuff be stay the same because that generally that all that generally works. So like the the critique of Sigourney Weaver's character, I wish it just been deeper because that could have been a better way to juxtapose like a white savior narrative versus like allowing Jake to have been a character that's more like I'm here as an ally that's going to uplift others voices rather than centering my own. Well, they hinted that something like that could have happened given that she originally had a school for the Navi that got shut down. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me if a lot of, lot of before the before the film was that mindset, but just didn't carry yep. on to this film. Yep, very much so. Well, to wrap up our thoughts on the film, then is there anything lastly we would want to say before we sort of decide on its place in the movie vault? Uh, Craig, you said about your problems with the film. Is there anything lastly you know you would add in terms of like your experience rewatching it, etc.? Ironically, I thought the film was just incredibly boring. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, for me. I just realized how much I completely forgot about this film until I resaw it. And I think that's just weird to say, I remember the scenery. I remembered very little else. So I was just bombarded with a lot. And just, like I said, the scene, like the imagery will only do it for me up to a point. And then I just have to rely on characterization at the point where I just, I just didn't buy into any of the characters. in in so far as the emotional level for all the reasons we've discussed, I was just, I was just a bit bored, and then when it gets the actual blockbustery bit, that's also just where the film falls down because that's where it just becomes so comparable to a lot of other films that it just loses that selling point. At which point, I yeah, I just wasn't entertained. That's that's all I can really say. It definitely seems secondary to all of the genuine issues that we talked about, uh, which is why I didn't bring it up till now. But yeah, yeah. Well, I think yeah to you know. summarize i think uh our thoughts as well jesse uh and myself you know it's it's probably a good place to to bring into the movie vault so we can kind of you know say whether we think it deserves to go in but also give our final opinions at the same time so this is our section of the show in which we ask you know does avatar deserve to be remembered full time and gain the honor of a place in our movie vault so jesse do you think that it deserves a place in the movie vault and and what are your you know any other aspects of this film or final thoughts you'd want to say yeah, I mean, I, it depends on what you think about. the. Uh, I mean, I haven't been on your podcast before, so I don't know exactly how you think about the movie Vault. But I think there's two ways to think about this film. There's one where if you look at it as an actual film in and of itself, devoid of any context of of, the, of what it was released as. Like if I, if I sat you in a white room and you've only existed in this white blank room for your entire life and I said, here's this movie, watch it. And, and you watch it, you'd probably be like, nah, this movie does not deserve to go in the vault, right? It, it's a movie that's like bland, boring. I agree with... Uh, uh, Craig, it's 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 a boring kind of film, um, and I, I think there's a lot of problems in terms of like a lot of the problematic portrayals that we've just been discussing this whole time. And so I think if that's the qualifier, then I'd say no. What I find this movie fascinating more for is for its place in film history and also its legacy that is still playing out. I mean, like just the fact that it paved the way for a lot of technological achievements, a lot of like the normalization of science fiction in our blockbuster culture today, uh, the, the imitators that came after it. I mean, speaking of Stephen Lang, like there was this show that i remember that i found more interesting than avatar but it was very clearly based off it called terra nova that stephen lang starred in it was a one season show that got canceled after a year it was a very messy like time travel show that was very clearly meant to evoke uh avatar right down to having stephen lang in it like it had dinosaurs and all that jazz and it was a very messy 
bad show, but fascinating. It was one of those shows like very interesting to watch because of how weird it was. And I love those sort of things. Um, so there's that legacy, the imitators that didn't necessarily take off that a lot of movies like this have, as well as its legacy going into its potential sequels that I'm, I'm honestly very fascinated to see because those had the potentials to be either even more boring than this movie is or way more interesting. And it could go either way. Like they could be super fascinating depending on how they want to take it, or they could be nothing films that no one gives a crap about. And I'm very curious to see what that legacy is going to be in terms of its, its franchise, but in terms of its place in film history, it definitely carved out an important spot in film history for better, for worse. Uh, so on that aspect, if that was your qualifier for the movie vault, I'd say yes. But in terms of it being a film that stands on its own, most definitely not. Yeah, I think for me, I think definitely. And sometimes, you know, Craig will probably definitely agree. I think sometimes, you know, the, what the movie world, what the qualifier can sometimes change or fluctuate. We're not like exactly 100% on it. But I think for me personally, I would always say that sometimes we've talked about films that would be like, well, you know, this still exists in our, you know, kind of imaginary universe we're talking about. But it's kind of like if somebody was to find this fault, the movies and kind of like, you know, get taught about what movies are, what's important, uh, you know, good or bad in some ways, um, you know, these should be the ones that should be preserved and, and teach that. So I think almost like you said there, Jesse, is that Avatar can still be remembered in some way for being this kind of like technical marvel and be one of the most successful films of all time. But for me, I think the fact that it doesn't work on its own outside at home as much does really bring it down. Because I think of something like, say, Star Wars A New Hope, which you know, still, even though it's very much like a traditional kind of sci-fi story, etc., you know, it still captivates you and brings you in, regardless of the size of the screen you're bringing, you know, you're watching it on, that you're kind of like, who's this Vader guy? You know, you've got, you know, a character like Princess Leia, etc., which was doing, you know, a lot of, in some ways, progressive things for the time, etc., whereas I think here there's, there's not enough progressive aspects in terms of, like, the performance or the stories, etc., or the, the casting, and I think that the 3D thing is just such its own aspect to it. I don't think they can just stand up purely on that. I think it can within the history of technical achievements within film. Uh, but I think similar to you guys, the fact that when I rewatched this, I was like, this really doesn't stand up as a kind of like, you know, enjoyable blockbusters I've had with things like the Marvel Star Wars films in which you can still get captivated, have fun with it, have fun with the characters. Um, I still do appreciate it and respect it. I think the Cameron is really effective in what he does like i said with titanic earlier he knows how to construct a film he knows how to draw people in the action scene at the end i would say is probably maybe the best part in terms of how he even constructs that like the waves it goes through of being like now you care for these people yeah they're winning oh now they're losing now this has happened now the the forest is coming together hey but now it's all personal it's all about just our core characters they're the ones in danger he does you know it's it's very you could teach it through film school in terms of how to construct a kind of action scene and how to get people invested in characters and, and drama through that. But again, I just don't think the film as a whole stands up enough on its own for me. Craig? Oh, you're actually going to ask me this. Yeah, I mean, I genuinely thought I was going to have to argue against your inconsistent usage of, of like, legacy. Uh, yeah, I, I also don't think so. I think if people care... I think the only argument that I would make is about, like about world building i think we've already established that the way in which the world building of this film worked exists outside of this film to a significant degree plus also the fact that unlike other films where we've been in the position we are literally going to be getting three more sequel uh three more films of this nature 
if they prove themselves on the same sort of quality, but also meet the criteria that we've also been discussing today, then fine, they can go in as a representation of this franchise that it's now become. And at that point, I think, yeah, no, get lost. That's an interesting aspect, actually. You know, if Avatar 2 flops, you know, immediately, then that could even dictate its legacy right there. So, yeah, we'll have to recap this in about five years' time. But uh... Honestly, what my, I, I'll be fascinated to see if Avatar 2 turns out to be a really interesting film. Like, like ones are like, ooh, this is an interesting movie, but also flops. Because that'll be an interesting dis- discussion because it's like, what do you do with with this franchise that you've invested so much money in but also like there's interesting stuff about it yeah i'll be i'm i'm i am genuinely deeply curious what those avatar movies are going to be it's gonna be fascinating to see how it goes down but uh yeah only time will tell but for today uh avatar does not make it into the movie vault which is uh yeah quite a successive run for not having films go into the vault uh, recently, uh, let us know if you agree at home uh, or what films you'd want to be discussed uh, for potentially going into the vault in the future. So we now go to our usual segment, which is the end game. We're in the end game now. Okay, end game time. So this is a game I like to call Speech Preach. One thing that I feel that this film severely lacked on for my liking, and one thing one thing I love about a lot of sci-fi as well as a lot of films in general is that great sort of monologue moments. Because even the sort of like the rallying speech uh, in this film, standard fear. But across sci-fi, there are some really interesting uh, speeches, whether that be to audiences or whether that just be sort of dying monologues. So what I've done is I've taken a collection and I'm going to see if you two can recognize what film they're from. So I have three speeches. I'm going to read them out, and if you, and depending on how quickly you guess which film it is, so this is going to be fastest first, uh, the way I want you to do this is if you literally just say, me, um, to indicate it's you. So David, test it. Me. <laughs> David. Jesse. <laughs> me. Cool. Um, yep. So basically, if you guess the film correct, you get a certain amount of points. Depending on how quickly you guess it's that film, you get more points. So earlier on, you get five and then four, three, two, one. It decreases like that. And in the event that nobody gets any points, I do have a tie break, which will be a slightly different game. So to let people know what we're playing for, again, we're playing for the choice of film for the next episode. David, give us a little teaser as to what your film is. Uh, So I was really indecisive for a while about what I was going to suggest and even like the course of this entire discussion kind of like solidified where I was going to go. But my uh, choice uh, of film is from 2003. Uh, It's from another kind of big name director who's very stylistic, um, very much has his style and approach to movies, which can sometimes be contrasting in terms of people's reactions to it. Uh, But this is also a part of a franchise. We were saying there lastly about how, you know, the success of Avatar might be uh, kind of hindered on its franchise potential and how those future movies do. And I think that this movie has kind of been remembered more for its kind of sequels and how that franchise has lasted and the kind of nostalgia and the way that people uh, remember it. Uh, And I think it did a lot of technical innovations and potentially over Avatar, one of the greatest 3D experiences slash films of all time. Fantastic. Jesse, tell us a little bit about your film. 
Uh, mine is also from a very well-renowned director uh, that I think does a much better job of having a much more community gaze rather than like the very centralized male white viewpoint of this movie. So a film that has a much more community gaze, much more uh, a much more encompassing director uh, that is also very famous and also features a blue creature. Interesting. I look forward to seeing what one of those films will be. So, in a slight difference, usually it, when it's David V. Challenge, uh, Challenger, it would be the winner just chooses the film outright. This is slightly different in that the winner will get to choose between the two films. So, it could they could choose each other's film for the first time. Okay, so are we ready for the first speech? Let's do it. Let's go. I'm going to be bad at this game. <laughs> I'm going to be bad at reading out this game. I don't know why with my throat being the way it is, I decided, yeah, let's go for long speeches. I... <laughs> Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you'll be launching the greatest aerial battle. Me. Jesse. Me. Uh, Independence Day? Uh... Boom. Wow. Dang. I could, I'm, I could I'm, almost wow, hear it in my head, but I couldn't place it. So well done. Such a check. You're going to be really bad at this game, are you, Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually really bad at remembering quotes. From, like people will quote movies all the damn time at me and I'll be like, I, I've seen this movie. I know this movie. I love this movie. I can never remember quotes. So <laughs> I, that's why I think it might be bad. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll maybe I'll remember this okay. better than I thought. But the question is, how soon did you answer it insofar as how many points did you get? For that, on the on the way I've marked it, you gain top marks, five points. Damn, all right, sweet. Ooh. You were just at the end of the first paragraph where the point would have gone down. <laughs> okay. Speech number two. I know I've made some very poor decisions recently, but I can give you my complete assurance that my work will be back to normal. I've still got the greatest enthusiasm and confidence in the mission, and I want to help you. I know everything hasn't been quite right with me, but I can assure you now, very confidently, that it's going to be all right again. I feel much better now. I really do. Look, Dave, I can see you're really upset about this. I honestly think you should sit down calmly, take a stress pill and think things over. Dave, stop. Stop, will you? Stop, Dave. Will you stop, Dave? Me. Oh, that was barely Jesse. Me. Oh, she doesn't want a space odyssey. It was indeed. <laughs> oh, we got it right as soon as we captured that day. Yeah, I, know. Yeah. I was kind. Of, I was stupidly being like, "It's two thousand and one, but his name isn't Dave. It's Hal." I was like, "Wait, no." The character saying the speech is Hal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was so like, the oh. question is, how many points does this give? Probably not many. <laughs> so for this, you have scored two points. Oh wow. Hmm. So it was about to get to the final paragraph where I would have absolutely only given one point. Uh, okay. Number three. And this is the final speech. Are you both ready? Mm -hmm. But just to be clear, David cannot win. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was just like, can I win? <laughs> Let's see if I can just beat you into the ground. That's, that's what we're going for. <laughs> can I get a bonus five points? What somehow? I'll do is I'll give you a pity point at the end if you can, if you can answer the tiebreak. Uh, okay. Okay. I am leaving soon, and you'll forgive me if I speak bluntly. 
The universe grows smaller every day and the threat of aggression by any group anywhere can no longer be tolerated. There must be security for all or no one is secure. Now, this does not mean giving up any freedom except the freedom to act irresponsibly. Your ancestors knew this when they made laws to govern themselves and hired policemen to enforce them. We of the other planets have long accepted this principle. We have an organization for the mutual protection of all planets and for the complete elimination of aggression. The test of any such higher authority is, of course, the police force that supports it. For our policemen, we created a race of robots. Their function is to patrol the planets in spaceships like this one and preserve the peace. In matters of aggression, we have given them absolute power over us. This power cannot be revoked. At the first signs of violence, they act automatically against the aggressor. Me? Me? David. Terminator 2? Awesome. It is not Terminator 2. No, it's, it's not that. I, oh my god, this is driving me crazy. Yeah, I, I kind of feel I know, I, know. I, was, I was just like, robots, I'm just going to take it. Punter. <laughs> Keep going, because yeah, I know I know this, but it's, it's just it's escaping a, It's a relatively moment. famous sci-fi film. I would. Ex- I know it's it's like hitting the back of my brain. The penalty for, for provoking their action is too terrible to risk. The result is we live in peace without arms or armies, secure in the knowledge that we are free from aggression and war, free to pursue more profitable enterprises. Oh, oh me, me, Jesse. me. Uh, the day the earth stood still. The day the earth stood still. Uh... And you literally got it right at the end of the paragraph for two points. Hey, hey, yeah, no, I. It's been so long since I saw that film. Uh, but you just got to the part. The reason I remember this again, this is my nerd. Star Trek: Strange New World season one, uh, just premiered, and in the pilot episode, they actually showed that that a clip from that scene in the pilot, uh, and you just got to that part. I'm like, oh, that's where that's where yeah. it was. So I didn't I didn't get to the end of the speech where it basically says we will be waiting for your answer. The decision rests with you. Yeah, it was something about that, like, I'm going now sort of thing, which I was like, oh, like, I felt I knew it was that type of character, but then the robot thing threw me, because we only see one robot. Did you think it was the original of uh, I have to go now, my planet needs <laughs> yeah, me? Sort pretty of much, thing. Yeah. I forgot. I forgot that that movie, like, has a whole bit about, like, police force in it, because that mm. feels very relevant to today. That's Dang. what kind of made me think, oh, yeah. or something, so I was like, hmm. My thought was like I robot, but I'm like yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, so I thought I was I was kind of I was kind of waiting for you to use the Roy Batty speech though from Blade Runner because that's always my mm. go-to famous speech. Yeah, if I wanted this game to end in like two seconds, <laughs> I automatically would have used it because I looked it up. Literally, the speech starts with just the line that everyone would just be like, "Oh me." Yeah. Um, <laughs> so at the end of that game, the score is David was here. Jesse wins with nine points. Congratulations. (laughs) So, as already stated, you now have the option to decide which of the two films you'd like us to discuss in the next episode. So, what will it be? Uh, Do I get to hear the other one or only the guests? Um, So, you have to base it off of the description. So, you obviously know Mm. what yours is. You just have to see if you can guess what David's is based on that description. If not, you can just go for your own film. I'm gonna be biased and just go for my own. That's uh, that's absolutely fine. Uh, well, mine mine is I was debating between two, but I figured the better one, given the discussion that we were having uh, today, would have been was to go with The Shape of Water, and that's the one that I oh. chose. Very interesting. I'm I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it because it's a movie that um, I think 
does talk about a lot of similar issues in a lot of sim in different ways, but does so in a way that it has a much more community focused gaze rather than like the the colonizer gaze that this movie kind of has. So. So, yeah. So the Gilmero del Toro 2017. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's correct. One best picture of that year and was one of the one of only three times where the movie that I would have actually picked for best picture actually won best picture. Well, and one of the few films that, uh, like recently, there's been a lot of ones we haven't seen or like maybe one of us has watched. So yeah, uh, me and Craig, I remember seeing this in the cinema as well. So it'd be good to revisit it in that way as well. But yeah, awesome. So next episode, we'll be talking about The Shape of Water from 2017, uh, directed by Gilmero Del Toro. Um, at the moment, uh, if you're in the UK, uh, you can uh, rent it over on Apple or on Chile. Uh, I think also, you know, places like Amazon, etc. cetera. Uh, also, you can check it out on physical media. So if you want to watch along with us at home and uh, watch it before uh, next time's episode to sort of compare thoughts and opinions, uh, go check it out before the next uh, episode. But yeah, thank you, Jesse, for joining us today. It's uh, been an absolute privilege uh, having you on and uh talking all about avatar and uh talking about all the sort of themes and science fiction uh, i definitely am not surprised that i lost because i said you came on because you're definitely an expert in sort of science fiction fear so uh a worthy winner there of the end game uh can you just tell the people at home where can they find you more about your youtube channel and your socials etc yeah, you can find me at Jesse Gender on YouTube. That's where I do my sort of video essay type stuff. Um, the most recent one as of the time of this recording that I did is a video on sex and Star Trek, the next generation. I'm very, very proud of that video. It is a five hour epic, but it's meant to be watched in parts. Uh, so enjoy that. It's a lot of fun. I I, I try to make it very funny and comedic. Um, but I also have videos talking about other things like film analysis, like I said, the James Gunn video, LGBTQ issues, things like that. So check me out there. I also do news reviews and reactions on my other channel called jesse gender after dark so if you like watching star trek or star wars or marvel stuff i do reviews over there on that channel i have a podcast of my own called jump gate which i do with my friend uh vera wild where we watch every episode of Babylon five and then you can find me on twitter uh twitter is really the only social media that i use uh, you can find me at jesse gender there i'll be ranting either alternatively about star trek or uh transgender lgbtq and other issues so you can, it's sort of where i alternate between those two things on there uh so yeah that's all my socials awesome yeah definitely go check those out i know i'll be checking out like the podcast in the future because i know you guys were talking about like farscape at one point wasn't it and i've always been like i was meant to watch that show because it's got like puppets and stuff in it but um, i'm like well i can't it's farscape is great i yeah the we we finished that it was that one was called what the frell it's on the same mm. podcast feed but we finished that, so we have every episode there for you if you ever want to listen to that. And then we sort of switched over to um, to Babylon 5. And the whole con concept of that podcast is, for Farscape, I had never seen it, and my host, Vera, she had. Um, and so it was my first time watching it, her second or third time watching it. And then that switched to Babylon 5. It's my like second or third time watching Babylon 5 and her first. So it's a fun little, fun dynamic to sort of talk about the show from. Yeah, fun idea. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, thank you, Jesse, for joining us. And yeah, everyone at home, please go check out uh, all of uh, the YouTube channels and uh, podcasts you were talking about there, some excellent stuff over there and uh, very, you know, influential kind of stuff. And you'll come away sort of knowing a lot more, like you said, you know, because it's talking so deep diving so much into uh, different uh, aspects of media and uh, teaching you about things, which is great as well. So uh, thank you for joining us and talking all about Avatar. Uh, anything lastly from yourself, Craig? 
They would have been a funny quip, but my throat is just literally not letting me say much anyhow. So <laughs> thanks again, Jesse. Already, Thank you for having me. It was you, this is a great discussion. You've already done the uh, epic sci-fi speeches. So you can't live up to those, Craig. <laughs> so, yeah. When can I ever? <laughs> right. Thank you once again, Jesse. And uh, thank you, everyone at home. Uh, we hope to see you next time. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you talking about The Shape of Water. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. <laughs>